This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome to another episode of Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, in studio, back in studio with Mike Craven. Mike, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Don't yeah. You don't have to lead us from <laughs> from the phone. Right, exactly. We, uh, Me and Mike had a business trip. Uh, we had to take, that's why I was, I was on the phone. So I was, of course, actually visiting Texas State camp. But of course, later that week, we went to AEW down in Austin, which was a really fun experience. So yeah, I'm glad we went. I want to hear more about that. Uh, look, if you want to sit here and talk an hour about eight, look, we can turn this into a wrestling podcast was, uh-huh. right now. Say, yep. We could do that on a dime. See, I don't know much about it, so I'm always super interested to hear you guys talk about it, you know, in the office or in the Slack. I'm always super interested to hear like what it's about because I'm just not very familiar. Sure, sure. With it's a novella sport. It really is. You like know, if you it's want, like yeah. a telenovela, right? Yeah. It's yeah. just like a, you know, like a drama series. Yep. Um, yeah. With a right. bunch of guys right. in tights. Yep. <laughs> and it cul- culminates every other month or so with a pay per view. Yeah. Yep. Storylines start over again, and it's yeah. really good. It's uh, yeah. I, I, my goal of like this podcast or TFT or somebody is like find the connection of like sports. And AEW and like or like football and AEW, mm-hmm. like because like we could, if I wanted to, I could finagle a way to get Keith Lee, right? right. McKinney product. I don't know if he played college, but I think he played college ball somewhere. But um, he's a former football player. Like obviously, play, uh, wrestles for AEW now, and it's like that's like that's my goal is to like eventually just like let's talk about. I don't know if Keith Lee watches football. Mark anymore. Henry. Mark Henry. Silsby guy. Easily, yeah. Like like just talk about like. Does Mark? I want. I want to know. Does Mark Henry keep up with Sylvie? Stone Cold? Right. Texas. <laughs> Texas high school football player. Exactly. I was North like, yeah. Texas. North do, Texas. Do, do, is there a? Is yeah. there a? Like, does does Keith Lee pay attention at all to McKinney? Like, does he know Marcus right. Shavers? You know, like, <laughs> just, like just things like that. Where I'm just like, I'm curious about. It. I have no idea. Uh, but just getting getting them on the line for however many minutes that'd be great. I know Keith Lee lives in Dallas, so like, you know, he's, he's around. We'll see. Um, I love that wrestling is having such a resurgence because our age group grew up. Yeah. Right, yeah, like, that's fair. Yeah. like we were all kids and we were super into wrestling. Yes, right. And then now we're old enough to have some disposable income. Yep. And now we're back uh-huh. and yep. super into wrestling, and we could, you know, if you have kids, you can bring your kids and introduce. And that's what I always liked about right. wrestling is like. So I was adopted when I was five by mm-hmm. my stepdad, and he's a old school country dude. Right, mm-hmm. grew up in Leander, Liberty Hill, that area. I had not up until that point, right. right? Like I, my mom is a very lax person. She had me at nineteen. We it was a little different. So we had football and we had wrestling, mm. and those were like the things that like we could talk about because I didn't listen to country music or right. like really like western movies and right. stuff like that. And so it was like I could stay up late on Monday if I watched wrestling with him. Yeah, and that that's was like pretty the cool. coolest thing in the world. And so I think wrestling is you go to wrestling events like the one we went to, and we saw like a kid with his like obviously his older brothers and yeah. his parents and stuff like that just like enjoying the hell out of right and like to me that's the most fun part about wrestling is like the interaction between 
because in a football game, it's happening on the field. Right. In a basketball game, it's happening on the court. At a wrestling event, it's happening like everywhere. The whole event is the is the sport. Interesting. Right? And become, I find that fascinating. It's become geared so much to like getting the reaction out of the crowd, right? right. Getting them to chance something. Getting right. them. That's to the goal. Really, yeah, exactly. Because like, it can change in the middle of the match. Hundred percent. Like if something's working and the crowd's going wild, they'll keep doing that even if that's not what they had planned to right. do. And right. If it's getting wow. booed, they'll go away from that. You know. So it's like it's just this really cool kind of like living organism going on i i just i avoid i find it best i did like that you mentioned the little kid that was sitting in front of us because so for those those of you that don't know there's this group in aw called the dark order i'm not going to get into it crazy you know but just know that there's a group called the dark order their leader is called evil uno he wears a mask and it's like a purple black and purple mask the kid had the mask right and so Uh like it was obviously like he's a big dark order fan the thing i loved so much about this kid and i pointed it out to craven when we were there uh, so they have this little like salute. It's like a, it's, a, it's like the Baylor bear claw, right? Yeah. Uh, the dark, the, the dark order does. And when they came out, he, he, you know, this little kid, he looks, he can't be more than like 11, right? Yeah. Elementary for sure. I was about to say, yeah, exactly. And so they come out, he's in his mask. He stands up like you could tell, like, like full on, like there, he's doing the salute, the little, his claw. And he stays there. He stays in that position their entire match. Wow. He was dedicated. He's like, they, you know, unfortunately they lost. I wanted them to win because I wanted For them kid. to be happy too. Yeah. But like he stayed in that, like he had that that salute the whole time. Uh, they came out again. Other members came out. He came out and did it again and like kind of scrambled and like just like because he's mad. He took the mask off after they after they left and he kind of put it back on or like put it over his hand. And like it was like that was like, oh, I that's really that. cool. Yeah, I posted it on my Twitter if you guys haven't seen it, but it is a great photo. And it was like that kid, like that kid right there. That's why I like wrestling. It's because yep. like he is. You, you've got those kinds of kids. Yeah, yeah. It suspends belief. Yeah, right. 100%. right. Like I'm a pretty realistic pro. I don't like sci-fi and that kind right. of stuff. I can be to a detriment, like a pretty like straight kind of like. <laughs> and uh, with wrestling, you can just, it's all, you know, it's all make-believe. Exactly. Right? Like all these guys are like, they're drinking beers in the back or whatever, but they're like, they hate each other right, out there. Right. Uh-huh. It's, just, it's a fun time. Yep. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work on this. this is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Me and Craven are trying to spread the gospel right. around the office. We got Powers. Powers is another big fan. Uh, Tep, we're, we're getting Tepper uh, more into it too, so. It'll be a it'll be a work in progress. Uh, anyway, we do have football to talk uh, about. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> Secondary on this spin-off podcast. Show com- <laughs> spin-off show coming soon. We got an entire off season. Um, we had some Conference USA news drop uh, yesterday. Yeah, and I guess today too. Uh, so before yeah. we started recording, Conference USA put out their new schedule, and the reason why they had to put out a new schedule is because yesterday they agreed with Marshall, ODU, and Southern Miss to get an exit and go to the Sun Belt. Congratulations to everybody involved. Everybody got what they wanted. Uh, Conference USA doesn't have to get embarrassed by a team just like walking out and being like, yep, we're not paying you any attention. I don't know what the settlement is or whatever. Sometimes, Basically, everybody released a joint statement and it was like, hey, look, this is happening. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Minutes before we started recording, Conference USA puts out their new schedule. And Mike Craven, we have a week zero. We do have a week zero. North Texas opens their season August 27th at UTEP. That is awesome. So great. (laughs) I love this. In-state battle to start off. And, you know, honestly, those two teams are teams that are going to be kind of fighting for that bowl bid. Yep. Right? A six-win, seven-win season. We're going to learn a lot about Mm -hmm. both of those teams in week one, so that'll be exciting. And it gives me an early trip to El Paso. So (laughs) pretty pumped Because there's no other game to cover that week. They'll be the only team in the state playing. The only two teams in the state playing that week, so they'll kind of have you know, all the eyes on them. And I think that'll be cool for both programs to kind of have that spotlight. And this will be the last 
in-conference matchup between these two teams, right? Yes. So yeah. that'll be super interesting to start just starting off with a bang, mm-hmm. man, for these two teams. Yeah, How UTEP's fun. going to be fired up, and both teams are going to look a little different, too, I'd yep. say. Um, yep. Coming off, obviously, good years, but... Yeah, I'm uh, Conference US. I think they wanted to make it looks like from the looks of their schedule, they wanted to make that week zero kind of theirs this season because they put two conference games on there. The other one's Charlotte at FAU. Um, and then they have a basically have a break until September 24th where they get back into conference play. Um, but yeah, I thought that's that's awesome. Like I always complain about week zero because I don't, it's always Illinois versus whoever. Like I don't care. No. Rutgers year, and whoever. Was Nebraska. Rutgers and Temple. That's what it was. Week zero. Uh, that was the first game of the season. I remember I like, that. That's great, man. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, it's credit to you guys in the, in the North or the Northeast or what. I don't, I don't need that. Much, so. It's too hot here for a week. Right. Zero. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. So like, I, they're going to have to have that at, at night. I, I was imagine. about to say, yeah, you're going out to El Paso. That's Oof. not, that's not, yeah. Good. That's going to be like a, 11 p.m. kickoff. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, so looking around the schedule a little bit more, uh, October 22nd, North Texas at UTSA. Uh, UTS, uh, UTEP at UTSA is moved to November 26th. And uh, UTSA at Rice, November 19th. Da, 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 looking around a little bit more. I think that, oh, UTEP at Rice is November 5th now. And I believe that is it, I guess North Texas does not play Rice this year. Yeah, because I'm looking at it right now, and I don't see Rice versus UNT. Huh. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, because they're going to scrap divisions. Oh, they are? Yeah, okay. I mean, they're going to have to. That's true. Yeah, the right. just do. Actually, so. That's going to be the interesting That'll part. I don't think really they've announced that yet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what they're going to do with the conference championship. Game. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but, yeah, so thought we'd open up with some Conference USA news since that news broke just before we uh, started recording. Uh, of course, as you guys know, we're going to continue our interview series. If you've seen the title of this podcast episode, this is our week with Jake Spavadol. Uh Still, I believe the youngest head coach in the state at 36 years old. What did I say before? Yeah. This recording. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 36 years old. Uh, of course, heading into his fourth year at Texas State, Mike Carabin was able to sit down and chat with him. Uh, just before when they started spring camp, when was this? About a day, I think the day of spring camp. Yeah, it was okay. like mid mid March. Right. Right. So we were able to get some. Uh, um some uh, just chat with him a little bit about his career and things like that after after this recording uh some big news came out of training camp for texas state uh brady mcbride announced that he would be transferring i believe this was over the weekend or just before the weekend uh this past weekend um he announced on twitter that he would be entering the transfer portal of course their starting quarterback of the past two years um he uh, says he has two years of eligibility left, mm-hmm. which is nuts because he feels like he's been yeah, there forever. <laughs> yeah. he, he had he had I mean he had a transfer uh, 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 eligibility uh, red shirt, so he had or not a red shirt, but he had a, a, a before they let the floodgates open with transfers. Right. He had a year where he had to sit already, and mm-hmm. then he had two more years, and then he had a year at Memphis. So he's had right. four, he's played four years, yeah. <laughs> like or he's been in college four years. Um, but regardless, um, I think the writing was on the wall. When they bring in somebody like Elaine Hatcher, who's a F- F- FBS uh, in-conference starting quarterback, you bring in somebody like uh, uh, Dylan Mar- – I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Dylan yeah. Markiewicz, I yeah, think, from Mark Syracuse. Um, from Syracuse to contend. Of course, you still have Ty Evans. From all indications, Hatcher was basically taking all the ones in spring camp. Uh, from when I went out there last week, he was pretty much running with the ones. So – um, according to Spavadol uh, and according to Brady McBride too, they had a cordial conversation about it and he thought this was best for him. There's no hard feelings. It's just kind of one of those situations mm-hmm. where 
you know, uh, it kind of happens. And it's a business now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like I, I have, I wish him the best of luck. He's like, as an alum, like he, everything I saw of him off the field, as far as like how he carries himself, how he works, like that's a dude I wanted leading the program. Right. I wanted last year to succeed so bad. Cause he ended 2020 really well. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned, I mentioned in my preview for the magazine that year or for this past year, the last four games was arguably the best stretch of Texas State quarterback has had since like Tyler Jones sophomore year. And it's like not close. He ended the year so well. And whatever happened during the, this past year, you know, just inconsistencies, things like that. Um, but talking with him and the way he talked about Texas State, the way he talked about the program, that's just somebody you want leading the program. I threw out a name to you that I thought would be very fascinating if they're interested. And if he's interested in going down to that level too. Uh, SFA, Colby Carthel. Yeah. Yeah. Like this, that, he would kill it. And Colby Carthel would love this kid. I don't know what, again, I don't know. This isn't me breaking news. This is me speculating, just thinking of where he could succeed and things like that. Um, that's also if he wants to go down to FCS. I don't know. Uh, but I, I, I'm thinking of like coach player relationship and I just see like Colby Carthel like willing to die for this kid. <laughs> yeah. Incarnate word is another yeah. one yeah. that I, you know, coach Kynes there now. Yeah. And then, you know, no, no ward there at quarterback anymore either. Um, so yeah, you know, like you, I think Brady McBride's been a great soldier mm-hmm. for Texas state. When you're the starting quarterback of a, you know, below average team, mm-hmm. you can get a lot of undue hate. Yep. Right. Um, but Brady McBride's play isn't the reason Texas state, hasn't gone to a bowl game the last couple of years, you know, right. like he he's done his part. And so, uh, when you see transfers coming in, I, I think you do kind of get that, the idea of like, okay, this competition's open and they're bringing in guys to replace me. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine spring practice went on for a week, two weeks, and he saw kind of where he was in the pecking order. And, uh, just like these coaches have to make business decisions for themselves, the players do as well. And, uh, I'd imagine he just kind of saw the writing on the wall, like you said, and, um, go find somewhere else to kind of continue that career. Yep. And uh, yeah, best of luck to him. Like I said, I personally, I hope he stays in state because I would love to cover him some more, you know, obviously. Um, but we'll see. Obviously, he was willing to go to Memphis out of high school because mm-hmm. um, they gave him a shot. And we'll see where, where, we'll see, uh, where he lands from here. I'd imagine he's a coach. At some sure, point, doesn't sure, he strike? Right. Yeah, right. I his mean, dad's a coach. Fits him well. Um, you know, a lot of quarterbacks going. It just seems like kind of a guy that when college football's over, he's going to be a GA. Right. And then one day we're going to be talking about him taking over a job somewhere right. or somewhere. Yeah, he's going to be like he's going to be like the in like five years the OC at Coppell. Like, right. Where he graduated, like right. he was like, oh, hey, there's Brady. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, that was our. That's about the, all the headlines we had before we get into this interview. Um, I was really excited for this interview because I was curious to see what Craven thought. Of Jake's Babbitt. Obviously, I talked to him before. Um, I think he's one of the more interesting personalities because obviously because he's young and so like he's very relatable. Um, but he's also like he strikes me as somebody, and I I, I listening back to the interview, I kind of got this too. He strikes me as somebody who knows he's still very much learning on the job. And like he oh, the way he talked about Dana Holgerson, the way yep. he talked about Mike Leach, and like you could tell he's somebody who you know, for better or worse, you know, this, this, this experience at Texas State's kind of, I don't say shaken what he's learned, but definitely like thrown him some curveballs be like, you know, I never probably thought of this or like, I never really processed this before I became a head coach and went through it. I think he, you know, he had the youthful exuberance of never not knowing what you don't know. Right. 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 I, I think, you know, everything was going well, you know, he's coaching Johnny Manziel, mm-hmm. Cliff Kingsbury's getting a head coach job at, at Texas tech. And right. then in the NFL, 
Spavadol's, you know, the offensive coordinator, like the best quarterback of the last decade. Right. He gets his Texas State head coaching job. Like everything's just like going mm-hmm. perfectly well for Jake Spavadol. But then you got to coach. Yeah. Then you got to like win at a place that's never been to a bowl game, right? Like there, there. He didn't walk into a, a Texas Tech even or a Louisiana Tech or a, you know a place that has kind of a winning tradition going on. He's going to have to build that from scratch, and I think it's been harder than he thought it was going to be. And we've all been young and thought things were going to be a little bit easier than they were. We believed in ourselves enough to go like, okay, we're going to walk in and we're going to fix that situation. Well, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that's not just about X's and O's. Mm -hmm. You have an administration, you have a budget, you have a weight room that's like 30 years old, right? you know? And so there's been some negatives and some, some hurdles that I'm not sure he anticipated having to deal with because Mm -hmm. he had just never done it before. And and that's just kind of, what it is when you're a first-time head coach, you're just not going to know what that job is until you've done it. And he sounds like a guy who has three or four years of experience now and is a little bit more mature in what he's having to deal with and what the situation is in front of him. Yep. So before, uh, without further ado, we're just going to get right back into it. Here is Mike Craven with Texas State head coach Jake Spavadol. So here with Texas State coach Jake Spavadol. Coach, uh, I wanted to start off at the beginning. Your grandfather was a professional football player. Your dad was a coach. Was there any choice to not <laughs> go into football and not go into coaching? Like, had you walked up to him and been like, I want to be a golfer, what would have the response have been? Oh, it was actually kind of funny. Like, my, my parents, you know, they told my brother and I not to, to get into the profession. Uh, just because of security and then just – you know, I, my, my grandfather's path was, you know, he was in the CFL and the USFL and the World Football League and the NFL and the college ranks uh, as a GM, as an offensive coordinator, as a head coach in the CFL. Like, so, like, there was just moving. Like, I have family in Canada currently because of just, that was just the path at the time, you know. And, and uh, you know, and then my dad was, you know, in, in the NFL ranks as a scout and then was in the college ranks and he was also in the CFL for a little bit and there was moving around he had two boys so he ended up being a head coach in uh, in high school and and they just told us like you know it's a great profession you know but like it's it's just the volatility of it and the security of it you know you probably don't want to uh, get into this profession so I was on my way to a finance degree at Southwest Missouri State and I was going to do something with money I just figured that you know that was the, the way to do it. like the, you know where a lot of things in the world were going. If you just work with money, you'd find something to have success in. And and uh, I was uh, really, I had a year left. I redshirted. I had a year left. I went through some shoulder surgeries, and and I knew that I, my time was pretty much up because uh, of the surgeries that I had. I had three, I had three shoulder surgeries that kind of ended my career as a quarterback, and that's why you see it as I was a punter and like a holder because I was trying to be just a way to travel. So the way I knew how to travel is if I could be a backup punter and maybe be the holder. So that was the way I got to travel. So, but like uh, I was in my spring semester and uh, uh, Bill Blankenship, who was uh, the head coach at University of Tulsa, was my high school coach. He was at University of Tulsa with uh, with Gus Malzahn and Todd Graham. And uh, uh, Bill called me and was like, hey, you know, like Gus Malzahn would like you to be the next GA here. I might put your, your name in and uh, would you be okay with that and I said yeah I'm all for it I ended up switching my degree program around I graduated early I didn't even walk I went straight to University of Tulsa and started working for uh, uh, Todd Graham and Gus Malzahn. What's it like being a GA? I mean you're not too far <laughs> removed right not an old oh. guy or anything like that so what what are kind of the trials and tribulations of, of being a GA? 
there, there's a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice with it all. And, and, you know, I, I committed to, uh, Dana Holgerson, you know, like I, I was my first year I was at university of Tulsa and it's a lot of long hours and, and, uh, you know, you kind of, uh, get your feet wet, you know, and on how much, uh, entails in college football and the role of being a GA and how you have to be really on call 24 seven. And, and I ended up going and working with, uh, Cliff Kingsbury and Dana Holgerson at university of Houston. And that's, where like, I just kind of like, I, I enjoyed being around those guys. So I just kind of hitched my wagon up to like any, any of those two. And I just said, all right, I'm just going to follow this through. And, and at that time we were at, like, I, I went from university of Tulsa to Houston with Dana. And then we went to Oklahoma state then we went to West Virginia and it was in back to back years where I, I was just moving. And like, I, I started off, like I had a pretty big suitcase and then at the end of it, I just had a duffel bag and I felt like I was a master of just being able to pick up and move to the next spot because Dana Holgerson said, hey, go to Oklahoma State, figure out the lay of the land, tell me what I need to do and go do it. Or, hey, you're going to West Virginia, figure it all out. And like, I'd go in there solo at times, you know, for about two, three weeks without even knowing anybody and mm -hmm. just trying to figure it out. But, but um, you know, it's, you know, my dad, I, I was very fortunate to see, you know, the the profession through my parents, you know, and then, and they, they, I already knew what it was about, but like it is, uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of work that goes into it, but you know, I'm sitting here as a head coach and, and I'm younger and I still go back to those GA days because, you know, I, I feel like there's a reason, a purpose for everything you do. And, and, uh, I learned a lot of valuable lessons and I, I still can put up, put together a PowerPoint and, and an Exos and, and a Google sheet pretty, pretty quickly right now. So, uh, but you know, I, I think that kind of molds you into who you are today. Did you call your parents up and say, yeah, y'all were right about this coaching thing? There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of moving. Oh, yeah. You know, my grandmother, um, who uh, is, is still alive, she's so funny, man. Now she uh, uh, she talks about this whole profession. She, she'll call me in the bad times, and she's like, I've been there. And then she'll be like a 1970s reference when they're at the New York Jets with Joe Namath, the quarterback. And I'll just sit there and listen to it, and she'll be like, you'll be all right. You just keep working keep doing the right thing. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. Uh, during your, well, just doing some research on you, when you were at Oklahoma State, you were helping Coach Brandon Wheaton. Yep. And he was a couple years older than you. Mm -hmm. So, like, what was that dynamic, right? Like, I mean, I always think coach, older guy, player, younger guy, but, you know, y'all were basically about the same age. Yeah. No, and it, it was good. And Brandon was awesome. Like, Brandon understood that. Like, he, he, uh, he knew that, you know, Dana had given me a lot of, uh, a lot of responsibility and then I knew the offense probably better than anybody there so he leaned on me a lot and and uh, Dana gave me the freedom like you know when you go into Oklahoma State and Dana couldn't bring anybody except me that was kind of how I got my first break and because uh, uh, you know you, you'd probably want to bring Cliff Kingsbury with you and like those guys but like you could only bring he couldn't bring any anybody because of all the contracts and, uh, and the buyouts of all those guys and uh so I got the opportunity to come in and work with quarterbacks. So like, you know, Dana at the same time still had to work with the O-line and get them on the same page and work with the receivers. So like Dana trusted me to have just full autonomy of the quarterback room. And I got to sit in there with Brandon Whedon, who was older than me, which I, I, I knew him, met him before when, you know, when, when I was in high school and he was at Evans Santa Fe and I was at Tulsa Union because we're all, we're Oklahoma guys. And uh, just, it was fun with that whole deal of just, you know, kind of, talking trash on each other, you know, about our playing days in high school. But, you know, Brandon got drafted uh, the first pick for the New York Yankees and played professionally. And like he was sitting there with married with a mortgage and, and I'm sitting there just trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And uh, 
Uh, it, it was, was coaching you. Yeah, it was exactly. You know, like, and I, I always laugh too. Like I, I went to West Virginia and I had Will Greer and uh, uh, Will Greer was married with a kid and I was I had a kid on the way. So I was asking him for parenting advice, you know, so it's I, I just believe that you can learn something from anybody. And, uh, you know, Brandon was uh, a really good player, really good person. And, you know, he just embraced me and, and, and listened to me and allowed me to, to coach. And I think it all worked out in the end for everybody. Uh, you mentioned earlier you spent a lot of your early career with Dana Holgerson, who's now the head coach at the University of Houston. Do you have any stories about <laughs> Coach Holgerson that maybe the general public like wouldn't believe? Oh, man. That's a really tough question right there. Um, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying like, you know, Dana, Dana is probably one of the – you know, like you look at him on the sidelines and he's losing his mind and, you know, he's chugging Red Bulls and right. and he's breaking headsets and everything like that. But like Dan is one of the more genuine humans I've ever been around in my life. You know, he's got a he's very funny on, on how he handles his business. And uh, but he's a very good family guy. Like I'm saying, he, he takes care of his kids. He takes care of the people under him like he just wants them to succeed. Uh, you know, I'm actually going to see him this weekend. You know, like it's just how it is, and we'll we'll have uh, we'll sit down, and have some beers together, and uh, and relive some of those memories. But you know, Dana was a, he, he was a guy that was you know brought up in this air raid system, as you probably have already asked him before. But he he still can probably run the 95 cross route better than any guy that's ever ran it in the history of this entire. And that's going back to like the Danny Amendola's and the West Wilkers and the Tavon Austins because he 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 knows how to do it better than anybody. Did you do you consider yourself an air raid guy at any point in your career? Or because he told me he got kicked he got out of the air raid uh, the air raid group because he runs the ball a little too much. Yeah, I got kicked out too with him. So you know, I, my philosophy is really similar to Dana's. You know, um, you know, like. Uh, I, I have I try to do a little bit more of the creative side of stuff with like what Cliff Kingsbury does with like you know perimeter screens and everything of that nature. But I do believe that, that you got to be able to run the ball to have success in this game, and uh, and Dana taught me that. And, and uh, I think it's a, a pretty unique balance that he has where you can run the ball but still have those air raid principles, those Mike Leach principles that you know the Hal Mummy days that uh, have been awesome and. Uh, I, I've been I've been kind of fortunate to be around like a Gus Malzahn that runs the ball and runs the up tempo power encounters and all that stuff. And being around Dana when we were at Houston, we were spread throwing it around, and then over time we have slowly just kind of combined it all. So uh, I'd say I'd probably I'm, I'm kicked out of the air raid as well. <laughs> what was it about that system? Like I I would argue that Hal Mummy is probably the most influential coach of our lifetimes in terms of like how college football is played, maybe even how all of college, all of football is played. Like, what is it about that system that like allows you to take little bits of it and like put it into like any philosophy that you have? Yeah, I get you. You're probably right. Hal Mummy has uh, has influenced so many people in this, and like you know, my new receiver coach, uh, you know, Chris Buckner, he played for Hal Mummy, you know, and like you're just like it, it's. You know, he's touched so many people's lives. It's like lives. the grandfather of college football. <laughs> it, it is. And, uh, you know, and, and these air raid principles are very difficult to stop, you know, and that's why they never really change, you know. The, and you probably heard of the 95 wide cross and the mesh and the four verticals. And, and uh, you know, you just get really good at it. And, and it's about repetition. And, and uh, like, the main thing I've probably learned from this entire system is how you, how you uh, substitute the players. You know, that's that's the kind of uh, 
on on how you rep them, how they're going to stay in one spot and they're going to get really good at it. And they're just, it's naturally just going to be easy for them because they've repped it so many times. That's how, like, that's why this system is so good is because we, we get them in one spot and we get them really good at it. You were a quarterback coach at Texas A&M when Johnny Manziel was there, right? I'm sure you've gotten a million Johnny Manziel questions. What was the easiest part of coaching Johnny Manziel and what was the hardest part? coaching the easiest part was saturdays the hardest part was getting him to the game on saturdays <laughs> because johnny was the best man like it uh you know like he uh, he embraced me too you know he came in off of a heisman trophy season and then you know like i i got thrown into the fire to to be around him and and uh, we had a really good relationship you know and and my whole my whole thing was is that i'll do whatever i got to do to get you to the next level and then get you to make you the best like the best player you possibly can be and and uh, we had some good times, like when, you know, just I've always enjoyed watching him because I've never met a man that when when he crossed the white lines, it was just a different animal. Like I'm saying, like he he was the biggest competitor I've ever been around. Like it, like when he crossed the white lines, he was just cold blooded when he was out there. And I just I, I appreciate him there. But got to go. I, I went out there and saw him and uh, Cliff. He's living in Scottsdale right now. Okay. I went out there and got to see Johnny and Cliff uh, right before. Uh, in May of last year, and I'll probably do it again this year, just go out there and see him. But, you know, he's happy, he's in a good spot, and, and he's still being very successful at what he's doing right now, even though it's not football related. Right. How much was an influence on was Cliff Kingsbury on you? He's probably the biggest influence on me. You know, he's he's really my best friend. Like, I call him every, like, we talk every single day. Okay. You know, and that's the guy that, you know, will, uh, he'll send me clips of Kyler, and I'll send him clips of our quarterbacks doing things. and. You know, and he'll critique it and he'll watch my games and call me and just be like, hey, you need to do this and do that. And he'll be like, hey, what do you think of this? You know, it's just right. it's really fun um, just talking with him. But, you know, Cliff's taught, taught me a lot about how to handle quarterbacks. You know, um, I think Cliff is probably the greatest quarterback coach, you know, around uh, just on how he's uh, like how he just treats them, how he handles them, how uh, he gets them in the right positions and just how he just kind of dives into them and, and, and gets to know them as a person. And and uh, I don't know if you've ever really talked with Cliff before, but he's one of the most sincere humans like I've ever been around. And, and uh, you know, he also rubs off on me in terms of just like the life lessons, you know, and just the, the work ethic and being a good person and, and uh, you know, just doing the right thing, even though it, it, it may not be the right thing for you at the time, but like, you know, it's, it's just, it just always be the better man in everything you do. and. And uh, just make sure that you you embrace those kids and you do and you throw everything that you possibly can into them to make them the most successful they can be. And uh, but he he for sure is the most influential that's ever been in my life. When I was growing up, it felt like high school football ran certain systems and college football ran certain systems and NFL ran certain systems and they didn't really mix and kind of commingle and that kind of stuff. Were you surprised that Kingsbury's offense was able to do so well or is able to do so well in the NFL? And I think now we're seeing so many high school coaches move up into the college ranks. Like yeah. It kind of all looks the same, right? Yeah. Uh, what do you think it was that kind of like allowed those those things to kind of like break that mold or that uh, kind of glass ceiling of like, oh, that's a college system. That's well, yeah, like that was the whole thing. Like when, when I was like coaching quarterbacks, like uh, so it's like Case Keenum. You know, like, and Cliff was coaching him. I was learning with, like, Cliff as he was coaching Case. And and you sit there and you're like, all right, Case Keenum is a system quarterback. He can never make it in the NFL. Well, he's still playing, you know. And then it's like Brandon Wheaton, oh, he's a system quarterback. Well, he played forever. Geno Smith was a system quarterback. He's still playing right now. You know, like, and you go through it. Like, I had, I've had 10 NFL 
active quarterbacks at one point, you know, and and they're all claimed as system quarterbacks. Well, at the end of the day, it's just like, what is the system, you know? And and they'll be like, oh, this is a pro style. Well, the pros run the exact same systems that we do right now. They just are a little like they have more time to, you know, do a lot more plays and a lot more repetitions and a lot more nuances with run game and all that stuff. But like at the end of the day, like it's they were drafting quarterbacks but like they're the, the always the biggest crutch for them was that oh they're in the spread system well like it's it ended up like you know it, you there's hundreds of them like you go back like you know a decade ago every single quarterback that's been drafted it's really been in the college spread system so i think the game of college i mean that game of the nfl had to adjust and adapt because the the spread systems allow you to allow a young quarterback to come in and have success right away. Johnny Manziel comes right in one year in Cliff's system and wins the Heisman Trophy because your footwork doesn't have to be perfect. You know, you don't have to be under center. Like the timing of it all, like it, it's it's all letting you be natural instead of just more robotic. And, you know, this is a seven-step drop. This is a nine-step drop. This is a play fake with a three-step gather. And like, you know, it's, hey, like just set your feet and be ready to trigger the ball and then move to your next progression if it's not there. And I see how the game now is – is moving that way for these young quarterbacks to have success, you know, earlier in their careers if you just kind of adapt the system to them. As a former quarterback, are you a little jealous about like how <laughs> prolific these offenses are now compared to like 100%. the ones, you know, I feel like or I feel like our high school we were through the ball like 10 15%. I was under center doing three step and then they're doing like double A gap pressure and like you get sacked, you know, like the the shotgun has been like probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to the game and probably made the parody of uh, of all the teams even you know closer because it just gives you an advantage you know where you can maybe get a quarterback and get it out of your hand like Case Keenum there was times like I felt like we weren't even blocking anybody up front and he was just getting as much ground as he could and he just spit one out there and, and they get in space and let our good players go play you know it's it's very unique how it's got this way I feel like the huddle is the one that's like, I remember even as a young guy being like, why are we huddling? You know, like, what, like why do oh, we yeah. have to like come here every single time to like, uh, I don't know. So yeah. And then, the and then you teach the huddle and the huddle, like that takes at least right. one, one meeting, you yeah. know, you got to oh, talk like, about it. It takes a whole week. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, exactly. To, like organize everybody <laughs> around and stuff. Yeah. Dan and I tried to huddle people at times at West Virginia and I, they just didn't know where to stand, you know? Like, cause none of them ever, you'll find a quarterback that's never taken a snap under center and you'll find kids that have never huddled before in their lives. Yeah. Um, you also coached a year with Sonny Dykes, mm -hmm. who's now the head coach at TCU. I'm curious what maybe you picked up from him that you were able to kind of add in uh, to like all your other influences. Yeah, no, I loved how Sonny practiced. You know, he, you know, he, there's all the, the repetitions that we take a lot of pride in, in these, in these systems. But like the way he practiced and how we just kind of we were always just doing situational football like the whole day. We never just like scripted practice. I and I loved it because I just went out there and I called plays, yeah. you know. And and uh, he just told the defense coordinator that you just got to adapt to it, you know. And, and sometimes like I, I can see the pros and cons. We may not get all the plays that you want in or all that. But at the end of the day, like the kids are out there just playing. And and uh, I just loved how he handled practice. Like it, it was just uh, it was kind of a breath of fresh air for me. And, uh, I, I just it kind of sparked my my creativity too with Davis Webb where we would just be like man we have a million plays let's just let's try to do this do that and let's just get this going and and I thought you know we we had a mass exodus of players to the NFL draft at Cal when I got there so it was like Jared Goff and it was like six receivers that went to the NFL and uh, 
we weren't supposed to be very good on offense, but like the way you practiced allowed me to be a better coach and our players to to develop, and we ended up being a top ten offense that year. And uh, and a lot is just the, the the approach that Sonny would always have with uh, just how we practice. So I use a lot of those principles in what I do right now. Do you remember the first game you were calling plays in, and kind of like what that week was like? Because I'd imagine as a coach, you kind of like you think you know what being the, the game play caller on game days will be. But then there's like, yeah. it's about to happen. Kind of what, what is like, what's that first week like in terms of nerves and just thought process? Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, my first game I called was the, the 20, that'd be the 2013 Peach Bowl, uh, a Chick-fil-A bowl at the time. Yeah, and uh, it was Johnny, it was Johnny's last game. And it was versus Duke. And, uh, it was kind of, you know, uh, like it's a bowl game, and then I had an opportunity to uh, potentially go to another school, you know, as a, as a coordinator. So Coach Sumlin promoted me right there on the, on the spot. And, and uh, so, like, I'm sitting there, and I know it's Johnny's last game, and I get on the coordinator, <laughs> you know. So I'm like, I better bring it, you know. Like, I better, I better have, like, I better be on point, you know, like, because, like, this is – you know, Johnny Manziel, the Heisman Trophy winner, and I had Mike Evans. I had, uh, we had Jake Matthews. We had a squad of guys, you know, Jermaine Effetti, Cedric Obwehi. We had a lot of good players out there, a lot of first-round draft picks. And and, uh, and I just remember, like, when he told me that, hey, you're calling the plays, like, I, I stayed up there nonstop. I literally had replayed that game in my head one million times. You know, like, I, I literally could probably call it right now. And, like, you know, I, I, I just remember the attention to detail that I had in it how we practiced, how I wanted to speed up the tempo, how, you know, it, how we went through it. And we go out in that game and, and nothing was really going right in that first, first half. I don't know if you remember it, it, like we were down 21 at halftime and then we just slowly took it one play at a time. And Johnny just went out there and had probably one of the more remarkable games of his career. And, and it was just a great way to end his career and on a high note before he went on to get drafted and go to Cleveland. I asked you that because I wanted to ask in the second half, how what percentage of plays do you think you called that were ran in the way that they were like drawn <laughs> up? You know, man, he had he had the he had one play where like he he scrambled up and then jumped on top of like the left guard and then, then circled <laughs> out and then kind of flipped one up to I think it was Travis Labhart who was a uh, was running around. It was just a, an unbelievable play, you know, and and that's what made Johnny so good is because you didn't have to call perfect plays because he could just naturally go out there and make it happen. He's the best quarterback, the best competitor, the best football player I've ever seen. You know, and I've been around a lot of great players, but like just how he competed and how elusive he was and how he just had a feel for the air raid system and what he could do, it was just unbelievable. And, and you're in that Duke, you know, the Chick-fil-A game, and we're running deep over crosses and corner routes and – He's throwing hot, and he like he he did he actually did some really good stuff and just playing in the pocket. But then there was a good amount of him just doing his whole thing, you know. And like I wanted to run him a little bit in that game because he's just so dynamic. But like I had to pull off of it because he was just naturally running anyway. So like that's how you get it. But and it it was that game I'll I'll never forget because you know it was just fun watching him go out there and just do his thing one last time. You get an opportunity to be a head coach here. You're pretty young, relatively speaking. Like, how do you know that you're ready? Or is that even you? Do, you know that you're not ready, and you're just going to take the job anyway and figure figure some of that stuff yeah. out on the fly. You know, like I, I had a lot of talks with guys. You know, like Cliff Kingsbury. Like he was just like, "You're ready." Like you know, like just go do it. You know, like you've called plays at the highest level. You know, you coordinated at the highest level. So it's just 
you're ready to go do it. You know, there's just, there's more, you know, team oriented deals, you know, and when I first got here at Texas state, man, it was like, I, I see the potential of this place and I know what's capable of doing, but when I first got here, like, like we didn't even have printers, we didn't even have gear, we didn't have food, no nutrition, no anything. And, and I was a little overwhelmed at whelmed at the beginning. Cause I was like, wow, this is insane. You know, like there's just, there's that we don't have anything they didn't even have jugs machines they didn't have quarterback nets they didn't have like and we, we started making a list of things that we've improved you know but as you look back at it but like you know you you learn valuable lessons just as a as an adult and as a, a person in a leadership position on you know how you handle things and you just got to take it one day at a time the best the best advice i i've always gotten is just like just worry about where you're at in the present moment uh, and see what you can get handled and get fixed. And I truly believe where we were at three years ago to Mounts, it's just night and day. I think the roster is completely flipped. It's the biggest team that we've ever had, the longest team, the most athletic team we've had, most experienced team we've had. You know, and and it's just the nutrition plan we've gotten right. Uh, we still need a weight room, but the you know the weights they still move the same. But you know you have to be structured. You know you. I can't fit half my football team in there. So you have to do four lift groups instead of like how we're at West Virginia, you can do one. Like we can, we have to do four, but it's just, you know, you, they say you're not ready for it. Like, you know, I don't think anybody is. I, I just think you just understand that you develop a work ethic, you know what it's supposed to look like. And you just take it a day at a time and you show up and you keep working. How long does it take until you feel like this is my program? Cause I imagine that first year even maybe, you know, you're kind of, yeah. you're trying to figure that out and what that even looks like question. and stuff like that. That's like how long, when was it when you were like, okay, this is, this is going in the way that I want it to go or I see it going. It, it was probably about halfway through last year. It's just because of the pandemic and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. The COVID hit, you know, um, as times are completely different. Yeah. You know, we, we took a lot of, uh, everyone thought we were just like, going rogue and getting all these transfer portal guys and we took all this heat over the whole deal now everybody in the country is doing it right now and we're we've been ahead of the curve uh you know we we took a lot of portal guys you know because we needed to we had a mass exodus of, of players and and we we needed to balance out our our roster and then we did and and uh I got through about halfway through last year and I'm like all right we're good we had a lot of injuries and we had some COVID issues for sure but like it's we knew that was all going to pay off and we all went for this year where you know we've got the depth that we need now and i don't have to hit the portal like you know everybody else does i didn't have anybody leave this team that we did not want to leave like we're, we put them in the portal to help and um i just really like where it's all gone because you know we at, at this school you've got to take some chances you gotta you gotta think outside the box and and uh, i've got a great staff a great group of people around me that uh uh, they're all have the same vision and like I think this team has the same vision too and like I finally like last year when uh, you know we had some ups and downs with some injuries and COVID and then we, we started winning some games and we finished on a high note like that was when I was like all right like these guys are bought in they know what we're doing they know how to work they know how to win games and now we got to have a good offseason leading into this next year. So is it safe to say you're more confident in this team now than maybe you've been in previous oh, years? Oh yeah the most confident I've been with this team. And it's, I, I remember like my first year here, I was like, there's those moments where you're like, what did I just do? Like, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and, and then you, you had a couple kids on your team that were completely bought in, you know, and they believed everything you said, you know, and like that gave me hope, you know, like, and I, my, my dad would like, I, he'd be like, Hey, just keep, you know, the same approach. And like, I'm telling you, you may be talking to a team and only, 
you know, 10% of them are listening to you, but those 10% are going to last. All right. And then you're going to keep getting it better. And every single year it's gotten better. And now we got to a point where like, I don't even have to speak as much anymore because like the leadership of the team and the direction, the ownership is there. And, and uh, that's when, you know, you're like, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. A couple of like just personal questions, like quick hitters. Mm -hmm. um, if I turned on your radio in your car, what are you, what are you listening to? Uh, right now is, uh, is Mike. I don't know if you've heard of Mike Stud before, mm -hmm. but that's who it's in. Okay. Right now. Okay. <laughs> When's the last time, I feel like coaches never do this, so I like asking this, but when's the last time you went and sat in a movie theater? Ooh. You know, um, God, that's a good question. Oh, you know what, I, I, I take that back. Uh, that, that was with my daughter uh, in December. Uh, it was January, okay. like right there. Uh, uh, we went and saw Sing Tu and Encanto, Encanto, I think yeah. is the name of those yeah. are the two in a theater. and. You know, Sing 2 like, was a really good movie, by the way. I was really vibing with it. At one moment, I looked up, and my two kids were sleeping, and me and my wife were locked in on the show the entire time. <laughs> but besides that, like, it'd, been, it'd been probably about five years, six yeah. years before I'd done that. Yeah. yeah, coaches never go to movies. I think y'all are just around people all the time. Y'all exactly. don't want to go sit in a movie theater. Yeah, well, with the day's time, with the streaming and everything, it makes it so much better. Yeah. yeah. You go to a barbecue restaurant, What's which coach Babadol's order? Ooh, all right, you got to get ribs. You know, I got you got to get ribs and the brisket. Those are going to be the the things that I've always got to try because everybody claims they got the greatest ribs and the greatest brisket mm -hmm. in the state of Texas, and you know, and uh, I'm I'm big on the sides too. Okay, I was, like I was going to ask if you're a sides guy. If there's going to be some like mac and cheese in there, or or just like some baked beans type stuff, like I, like I'll, I'll buy with that pretty good. <laughs> All right, Coach. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thanks again to Jake Spavadol for sitting down and chatting with us. By the way, I want to issue a quick correction. Uh, UNT does play Rice <laughs> this year. Uh, I checked on their schedule. Uh, November 26th, they play. Uh, is that on the road? That is at home. So there you go, in Apogee. So we'll see. That MC. could be an important game. Yeah, that it really could. That game. could be like uh, two teams sitting at five and six. Yep. Yep. You know, trying to get to a bowl situation. game. Yeah. If you want to see anxious Mallory MC. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Head down, head down to that, <laughs> that final game of the year. Uh, uh, I really geez. enjoyed this Babadol talk. Oh, no. I, like every time I talk with him, I'm just like, that, like, I don't know. <laughs> there's so many uh, with Joey McGuire, like Jeff Trailer. Like there's some like, like, man, I love talking. I love talking to that guy. Yeah. But like Jake Spavadol is like. I could have sat here for like two more hours and just like chatted yeah. about whatever. I went to a baseball game. Yeah, I was about to say, you went to a baseball game. With, he met him for the first time that day, and then he was out at the yeah. Texas-Texas yeah. State He's like, hey, what are you doing later? You're a baseball guy. You want to go watch the Texas is in town? And it ended up being a great baseball game. Yeah. If, there was a, if there was a guy I was going to go like eat dinner with yeah. you know, or like be friends with outside right. of life, because we're the same age. He's like two year, two months <laughs> right. younger than me right. or whatever. And so, That's crazy. You know, I, you know, I usually, and I, this will change as I get older right sure, sure. and it's starting to change now as we were talking about with Spavadol and Rhett Lashley mm -hmm. around the same age as well but like usually you go like when I talk to Joey McGuire or Jeff Trailer, like it's like talking to an uncle right yes 100% you know like you, they're older and you're they're like wise men right mm -hmm. that you're like sitting there and you're like asking questions and you're like oh man like what are they let what? me tell you something this son yeah <laughs> you know and they're like teaching me about life and football and stuff right. like that and with Spavadol is just like it's a friend to friend conversation yeah, yeah you know you're just like hanging out yeah. like talking you know we might as well have been playing FIFA or something <laughs> right, like that right. drinking a beer or something right. you know and so uh yeah, it's just interesting. I mean, I think it was just like a mortality thing, right? Where you just look around and you're like, man, I'm the same age as like some of these head coaches in college football. That's crazy.
Yeah. I loved the Dana Holgerson comment. He's just like, man, I love that guy. You might just see him as a guy who's just yelling, chugging a Red Bull on the yeah. sideline, <laughs> but I love that guy. And, it was hilarious. And fun- funnily enough, <laughs> uh, Spavadol's exactly, he described himself off, off after the interview yeah. as just like mini Dana Holgerson. Yeah. It's like any yeah. habit Dana Holgerson has, yeah. I have too. So he drinks Americanos in the morning and he drinks Red Bulls throughout the, ah. the whole day. So Spav is also just like, just geeked up on caffeine. <laughs> just is, geeked up on caffeine. Which is wild to me because, like, if you listen to his tone, he's not no. like a geeked up. He'd like, be falling guy. asleep without. I was about that. to say. Yeah. I was about to say. Like, he's very like his tone Chill is like, straight laced and very. I think if you drink yeah. that much caffeine, it doesn't even get to you anymore. Yeah, Pro- that's, that's it. Doesn't unfair. affect you. Yeah, like, yeah. like if I drink that much caffeine, I would be like like bouncing off the walls right, or something right. like that. I think they're just they're you know it's they're like just, people who can drink a twelve pack and not be fine. You know, right. like they're but, just they're just guys that can handle their caffeine. I guess so because yeah, he's he's very much not a rah rah type of sideline. Guy. like after every after after a loss after a win right. like his tone is the same what right. he's saying obviously he's a he's a laid-back dude i just yeah. thought of, i was like trying to loosen funny. him up and i knew that him and and holgerson were close yeah and so i was like I, i'm gonna need I a holgerson fa- story I didn't realize he basically followed him everywhere. yeah like right yeah that, that's what yeah. that's what didn't right. click for me until i listened you know to what this this interview series has taught me and maybe i should have been aware of it beforehand hmm. it's just how often young coaches kind of like feeder fish on to oh, yeah. shark oh, you know yeah. like yeah. you watch now National Geographic and like the sharks got a couple like fish next to them. Yep. They like clean up, mm-hmm. you know. Like when you're a young coach, like Rhett Lashley had Gus Mel's on. Right. You know, like um Spavadol with Holgerson yeah. and stuff like that. You just, just kind of like you just you're like, oh, this guy's that. going somewhere and I'm gonna follow him every step <laughs> yeah. of the way from sure. GA to position coach to maybe coordinator to maybe associate. And so it kind of it that's why this can feel like such a small club. Mm-hmm. Is sure. because they all kind of know each other in that same way where they're kind of just following each other around. And I'm sure those guys have some young assistants right now that eventually will be talking about, you know, Jake Spavadol and Sonny Dykes in that same type right, of right. same type of vein. Yeah, that's a good point. Um I did like that he mentioned he and Holgerson were kicked out of the air raid club because they run the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did like that. Um because yeah, that's kind of a that both of them do get you know they're they're cast as air raid guys, but mm-hmm. like the, the purists are like, wait, what? They run mm-hmm. the ball. They're not air raid. Le- like, what are you talking? Leech about? is like, check the percentages. Right, that's right exactly. <laughs> if it's over twenty five, <laughs> that's not air raid. That, like, there's nothing air about running the ball. Like, it's got to be in the air. The ball's got to be in the air. Right, right. It's not they, a ground raid. They get kicked out of the group chat. Like, yeah. a, they, everybody has to send in their their play calling stats. From that's the, my from favorite idea too. Is just the idea of Mike Leach just like. <laughs> Blocking the number, you know. <laughs> every, every, no, I'm saying every week they have to send in their 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 uh, stat sheet. Right? Yeah, so it's yeah. Like, it's like is that 30 carries <laughs> kicked out? <laughs> exactly. Mike Deleted. Leach, was your was your first four quarterbacks hurt? Like why? Why I got a oh, wide receiver were, that can throw the ball 37 times. Designed quarterback runs? Like I don't see. I don't see so the part of the game is this. Did you run a? Was that a two running back set? What is this? Get out of here, sir. Um. He just spits out his coffee. He's he's watching a Houston game on an off week or whatever, and he's just like he's like ah no no. Is that twenty two personnel? I taught him better than that. Oh God, no! But I, I like it. Like I said, Leach I was, is a perfect example. Of what I was talking about, though. Oh, 100 Yes. The, like, yes, I mean, much, like, much. there's like four four coaches in the state that were on Leach's staff, and then mm-hmm. Spavadol's like the grandchild right. of of Mike Leach, you mm-hmm. know, through Holgerson and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, it's just 
you know, there's 120 something of these jobs and you think there's got to be like a thousand coaches and, you know, there's, there's got to be this big thing. Well, it's not. It's kind of right. a small group in terms of like how insular they are. It's like a, it's almost like a, you can play a seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Or right. Degrees, yeah. Like with, with all of them. Where yeah. It's like, oh yeah. It doesn't matter who it is. It's Mike Leach or yep. Kevin someone or, you yep. know, somebody like that is going to web himself back to so-and-so within like three years. And in the state of Texas, it's amazing. The blueprint of Mike Leach. Yes. Like it's it, it really I didn't realize that. I don't think until like sitting here and talking to you guys throughout the weeks, so I didn't yeah. realize how big of a, of a footprint that he's left. I mean, he, I mean, yeah. Next to how mummy the change the game. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that is, there is a, you know, like BC and AD, you know, there's like a before how mummy and, mm-hmm. an after yeah. how mummy. <laughs> right. yes. and Mike Leach is like the torch carrier of right. that. And, you know, probably outgrew mummy in right. terms of like success and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And he's like the Hayden Fry of our generation in terms of like, that guy coached for him. That guy coached for him. I mean, even like a Dave Aranda. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. You know, and so it's just amazing. Seth Luttrell, Dykes, yep. Holgerson, Spavadol. I mean, it's just amazing. It's nuts. All right, Mallory, we got some questions? Yes. First up with Brady McBride entering the transfer portal and Tyler Vitt opting out of his remaining year of eligibility. Who's up to take his spot, their spot at quarterback? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely Lane Hatcher has the inside track. Um, like I mentioned, he has two years of starting experience with – Arkansas State. I know last year wasn't the best year by his standards, um, but looking at Arkansas State, I think that was more of a program-wide kind of thing. Uh, they were kind of down as a whole. But uh, tw- actually, it's just like three years of starting experience because uh, he was he started in 2019 as well. So you look at that, and you look at basically if you bring in if you if you're looking to start a quarterback uh, or looking for a starting quarterback, somebody who has experience in the conference is a pretty mm-hmm. damn good place to start. Um, I know that. I'm looking at his stats. 2019, 2020, uh, 27 touchdowns, 10 picks in 2019, 19 touchdowns, two picks in 2020. Like I mentioned last year, uh, 19 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, a little bit of a dip. But obviously as the inside track, you bring in somebody like uh, Dylan Markiewicz who has, I don't want to say experience because I don't think he played at Syracuse, but mm-hmm. somebody good enough to make that uh, make it there out of high school. I think you still give it to Lane Hatcher, but – I do wonder about, by all indications, Ty Evans been has been getting the number twos, but I do wonder about like last year when they were shuffling and he really didn't get a sniff. I wonder how close he is to that number two or if that's something that Dylan Markowitz can kind of work in as well. I do think the quarterback position has been upgraded. Sure. I think the talent in that room is more than it than it was last year. And I, I'm a guy, if we remember, I, I like Tyler Vitt. I think yeah. he like ran that offense really well, a big proponent of his last year. But I do think the options going into 2022 are better specifically for what Spavadol wants to do. I mean, mm-hmm. we just talked about his coaching tree and what he wants to run. I think Hatcher allows him to do some stuff that maybe uh, McBride and Vitt uh, just couldn't do. They just That just wasn't in their, their talent uh, mm-hmm. skill level. Um, I don't think you transfer in conference after throwing for 7,000 yards in your career without the idea of I'm going to be a starter if I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, it, it's got to be Lane Hatcher. But – my questions for Texas State probably go about like what their skill position guys are going to look like more so than what their quarterback is going to look like. Agreed. Yeah. Kind of speaking to that, Bobcats are losing a lot of defensive players, especially to the draft this year. So what's going to be priority number one in kind of rebuilding that unit as a whole? They got to figure out how to get pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to move Jordan Revels yes. uh, to outside linebacker, mm-hmm. and he's going to be mostly just like an edge rusher off the off the edge. Uh, redundant sentence there, but you know, uh, I think getting 
because their secondary struggled last year. Yeah. And it's hard to imagine they're going to fix that. Right. But the quickest way to help that is to get after the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that front seven is going to be really important for Texas State. They're going to give up yards. They're going to give up points. But if they can be a team that can get sacks and then those sacks can turn into turnovers, either by a quarterback making ill-advised passes or fumbles in the backfield, I think they need to be more opportunistic than they were last year. Yeah, I agree. I think that in addition to pass rush, I think it's just the linebacking core as a whole. Um, I know they're moving London Harris from the outside to the inside. Um, he's an athletic body who's kind of, I don't say struggled to find his place, but you know, it's definitely been like, what position can he play? Is he an outside? Is he a defensive end? I think he came in as a defensive end at high school under Everett Withers. Um, they love, they love him, what he's brought when they, when they moved him inside. I know, um, I'm forgetting the line. They're moving somebody else inside as well. And so I do think that they find they're finding their inside linebackers being a pretty big part of that. And, um, yeah, you mentioned with Jordan Revels becoming more of a pass rusher now. I think their defensive line is pretty okay as far as, like, uh, returning talent. I know they lost Kavion Patton, um, say, I think Savion Patton, actually, um, to graduation. But I do think they have enough continuity there to be okay. I agree that that linebacking core and the edge is going to be huge because they do return a lot in the secondary, but we mentioned it wasn't very good last year. Mm-hmm. So if you're hoping that they take a step forward of some kind, you can't be leaving him on an island like you did last year. Up next, it's rumored that Texas State is going to bring in a double-digit number of guys this summer. So over-under, how many guys is it going to be? Ooh, that's a good question. So I was there I was there last weekend. and um, We'll go over-under 11. I didn't say, I didn't okay, say the number, so 11. 11 and a half. Okay. Um, he mentioned Because he mentioned a couple things. He mentioned the May 1st deadline for transfers, which is announcing transfers. Um, and then after that, you can basically sign anybody until the damn season starts. It's weird, but um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under just because I think it's probably around ten or eleven. Um, but I do think they're gonna be in, absolutely in the market because, I don't, you know, obviously quarterback they're not they're not gonna bring another quarterback, but somebody else could leave, right? Like mm-hmm. Brady McBride was just the biggest name to leave. Right. They have another month, another couple weeks of, of spring, or I guess another week or so of spring camp. Before guys start seeing, all right, this is kind of this is I'm on the outside. I'm gonna head out, right? So they're gonna have to fill bodies if they lose. And I don't even if they didn't lose anybody, I think they were still bringing in a handful of guys anyway. Yeah, I'm gonna go over because right. I, I think they were planning on bringing you know eight to eleven. You know, regardless of anybody leaving, sure. we, we mm-hmm. just talked about McBride leaving. I'd imagine four or five other guys who don't like where they're kind of fitting in the two deep. Uh, after spring practice leave as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to leave, you know, 13 to 15 spots for them to fill. And what I find most interesting, you know, we've killed Spavadol, or at least I'll just say me, I've killed Spavadol for like his roster building strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the further this goes along in the transfer portal world, the more like kind of like crazy like a fox, it seems like, you know, right. like where he's almost set his roster up where he can turn it over mm-hmm. in this way, where he can go through spring practice and then go, okay, I have a hole at this spot, this spot, and this spot. We're going to go fill it. Right. And they're not near that 85 scholar. They're not beholden to some redshirt freshman that they already know isn't going to like really work out, but they got to keep them mm-hmm. on scholarship or whatever. Sure. They can have this kind of fluidity to it and it hasn't worked perfectly yet, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of see why it would be an advantage for a team like Texas state, because now you can see where your weaknesses are. You can see where your holes are and you're not just stuck with that roster. Right. You have some flexibility to go in and kind of add 
you know, almost like free agency or a draft in, in the pro level. There's talking around the program. There's been some, and again, this isn't an excuse, right? Because I think there are pros and cons to the strategy, the transfer strategy. I will say one thing they have absolutely considered, which which is if they they felt like okay, if we hit on a freshman, right? We recruit a freshman and he's starter from day one. There's a legit. They realize that he's probably not there for four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's probably not there. For, not even three. You know, going pro or whatever. They realize it's like oh, it could be a ticking time bomb before Texas. He can transfer Texas to Nebraska. Or just, yeah, exactly. And so I wonder how much of that. It, obviously, you know, he, he the, the the main reason to go transfer portal is to get starting talent right away. But I also wonder if a reason they're doing this is because I don't know if they feel like they can hold on to guys that they hit. There have been, I, you know, I've heard names on the roster where it was like, we don't know if he's going to be here for two years or a year or two because he's good and he's starting as a freshman and, ex, you know, um, and we're, somebody's going to poach him. Now, is that the most uh, 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 is that the best way to look at your program? Probably not, right? To be like, we can't get good guys because they're going to leave. It's well, honest. It's an honest one, right? That's the thing. Is like you look at you, the Murphy twins in North Texas. Exactly. Yeah. Like they break out. They're awesome. North Texas has a good year. All right. Yeah, we're still leaving. Bye. Right. Your head coach doesn't get fired. All right. Bye. We're still leaving. So I don't know. I wonder. Or at least going to go look to see. Yes. Exactly. Where right, to right. go? You right. know. They like... might, yeah, they could come back as well. But and so I wonder. Like that. It, it's very interesting that. that some of they're they're pretty open about that where it's like we could and they're still they're signing high school guys right they're not like it's not like a couple of years ago where they signed zero right mm-hmm. they're signing a couple but I wonder if if that's a big reason why they're not going in with like a twenty plus high school recruiting class is because if they can't guarantee these guys minutes right away which they do have an experienced roster so they're not not a lot of freshmen are going to get their chance right away are they going to look to leave right after and then if they do get one are they still going to look to leave right after mm-hmm. I don't know that's an interesting. That's kind of going to, to me, the next year or so is going to be interesting to see how that particular part plays. I kind of look at it like Moneyball. Sure. You know, like where they're trying to figure out this new, cheaper way to go about putting together a roster. And they know it's easier to, not easier, Mm -hmm. but they can get a better return on investment through the transfer portal and the JUCO ranks than they can the high school ranks. Just because you know more about a dude at 20 than you do at 18. You've seen them for a couple years. You can talk to the college coaches. You can see what their transcripts look like and stuff. And so you just have more on them. So taking a guy at 20 out of the transfer portal, while that may seem more of a flyer mm-hmm. than high school recruiting. It's not right. And so, um, I do think that they're in an ideal world, you find a proper balance to it. Sure. Uh, but it doesn't seem as crazy as it did pre transfer portal blowing mm-hmm. up. Right. You know, now, sure. now it feels like something he predicted. I want to, uh, I, I'm really curious to see how his tone is at coaching school. Cause I know that's when he obviously gets the most shtick. Cause obviously coaches are trying to talk him and all this stuff. Right. But I do wonder. I'm curious about how I can't wait to talk to him at coaching school. Cause obviously he'll have his guys on the roster and things like that and see like, Hey, did this off season kind of go as you anticipated? I'll kind of have to follow up with him uh, then. So. All right. And finally back in 2018, coach Spavadol signed a five year deal. Mm-hmm. He's currently heading into year four of that deal. So yes. what is he going to have to do this season in order to stick around this program? It's got to be a bowl game, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, that, as as a as an alumnus, yeah. yeah. Like, what is your expectation of what Texas State football should be? Mm-hmm. So for me, like like in general, yeah. Like mm-hmm. for me, at U- for as a UTSA grad, I expect UTSA to consistently go to a bowl game, yes. occasionally compete for a conference championship, and then 
every four or five years have a season like they had last year. And it's yeah. crazy because you wouldn't have said that a couple of years ago. You no, know? but that's where, the, that's where the program should be. Right, sure, somewhere right. Somewhere in there. Right, right. Yes, agreed. I think that there's no reason that Texas State shouldn't be looking UTSA in the eye. Yeah. Like, that. that's kind of my thing. They're down the road. They're the only Texas school in the Sun Belt and arguably a better conference. I think that there should be – that should be the level that Texas State – there's a reason why there's been a, a an envy of – Texas State students and fans seeing UTSA success because there's like that. There's no reason they should have started the program in 2012 and already be where they are mm -hmm. versus where the history Texas State has um, going back to the 80s before that versus now. Like there should UTSA passing Texas State up in that way rubs rightfully, in my opinion, rubs a lot of Texas State students the wrong way because they feel like they missed their chance to be on that same path. How much do you think of that is coaching? Because Fair. that the distance between those two programs, yes. in my opinion, has only happened in the last two years. Fair. No, 100%. Um, I think there were some administrative things that UTSA capitalized on. I think Lynn Hickey did a fantastic job of starting where they where they came from um, versus uh, Larry Tice. And I think that uh, Lynn Hickey made them a lot more marketable um, to where now Lisa Campos has taken it to a new level. Um I will say I think that where Texas State messed up with it's not coaching because I'm not going to blame Everett Withers. I think that's incorrect, but because I think he had the right idea in mind. But I think the support Everett Withers got from the administration is what failed him. Um, ultimately, there was some on-field stuff. Obviously, you can't win you know two games or whatever it was in, in so many years. But I think that in addition to that, and I think in addition to before Don Coriel taking over, there were some things that Jake Spavadol wasn't being given administratively um of course if you, you can go back and read whenever withers was fired kef chardello the statesman did like a great breakdown of like everything that like Everett withers had to pay out of pocket all this stuff that like donors wouldn't do or that the athletic budget wouldn't cover that's all obviously administration and i think that that is something that does hurt texas state when you when you look at utsa's willingness to be marketable to promote itself as san antonio's school like texas state they wouldn't even use they wouldn't even use Southwest Texas gear until like four years ago. Right, right. It's things like small things like that where you're alienating uh, your alumni base right. of and that, so many years. And that I guess that's my and that's what makes it hard to judge Spavadol in my opinion. Sure, sure. Is like Jeff Trailers had everything like they UTSA's pit pushed the chips into the middle. Yes, right. 100%. As much as many chips as they have. Right. right. It's not sure. Texas or Texas A and M sure. or whatever. There's some, but. Whatever they can do, they've done. And so then you can judge a Jeff Trailer on mm -hmm. his on field because he's got everything else according to, you know, compared to his peers. Mm -hmm. At Texas State, as we just talked about, Spavadol doesn't really have that, or at least hasn't had that. So like how do we hold him to a standard? Like what what do we say is the ceiling or the floor? Because like what could another coach do? Sure. Right. I think so and I think I think this is a good example of one your your ex-wife analogy because ever withers came in well first let me come and go back franchione came in right when they made the transition to fbs they wanted a veteran similar to larry coker at yep. utsa it was yep. kind of like the mirror they hired similar coaches experience brand names help us usher in a new era in a football build this program just get us competitive really quickly right both, give us a name brand give us a new yeah both did that right Establish, you know they're not going to text state utsa weren't Owen 10 Owen 12 teams out the gate, right? They're three, four, five, six wins right out the gate. Um, then after that, Ever Withers comes in, 
builder, right? There were some things that happened in France the last couple of years, tear it down, rebuild, build a high school, all that stuff. Okay, that didn't work out, right? Then you bring in the scheme guy. Okay, we have mm-hmm. talent now, right? Here's the guy that's going to coach up the offense and coach up all this talent, and we're going to transition that way. Still hasn't worked out. What I will say is, Francioni, to me, arguably had less to work with. And he still eked out about six or seven wins. Um, That's, I think, so I'm not saying Spavado has to come out and win eight, nine games. Um, I'm not saying if he he doesn't get to a bowl, he's an awful coach and, you know, shouldn't get another head coaching job. No, he might very well get another head coaching job sometime down the line if he, if it doesn't work out at Texas State. But there are there are definitely hurdles at Texas yep. State administratively. Um, just look at the lack of indoor facility. Just look at the we mentioned the weight room. Um, one of my favorite games, and by favorite I mean uh, awful games, is looking at UNT's uh, investments at mm-hmm. Apogee and the indoor yep. facility. Fantastic facilities. Like Texas State can't work out their entire team in the weight room at the same time. Exactly. No, hundred percent. You've seen the end zone complex. Like it is very small. Yeah. They <laughs> got to do three or four different periods to yes. just get one team weightlift. And I'll give credit to Don Coriel. That is changing, right? That is that is a hope that that that's one of the next big projects is a weight room basically revamp, um, and an entire end zone facility revamp. He's doing a great job by all accounts of fundraising and things like that through donors, um, but that's still. You know, you still have to go through 2022 (laughs) and that's probably a 2024 plus uh, uh, timeline. With that being said, you know, even after all that, like if Spavadol comes out and they win four games, you know, is that down? Is that all down to him? You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But can you also keep justifying paying that? Because he's making more than ever Withers did. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's still not an incredible amount, but still like he's still do you justify maintaining that level? I don't know. Um, now, in my opinion, if if Don Coriel came out and said, okay, uh, uh, Jake Spavadol is our guy for the next three years, right? Then that shows a direction, right? Yeah. Once we get this uh, administ- once we get this thing, these things built around the program, okay, here's uh, he's going to be our guy. We're going to give him these resources, and we're going to take our lumps until we get to that point. Sure, whatever, right? But unless he comes and says says that something tells me that like they're expecting a bowl game, right? They're expecting some type of expectation. Um, So yeah, like I said, this is catching UTSA. If it ever happens at this point, it's not happening in the next two years, but I wouldn't, I don't fault anybody for having the expectation of where this team should probably be relatively. I think those parallels are, is is a great point. The Francione Coker thing, you know, and then Withers and Wilson. Wilson. Yes. Similar 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 thing. But then what happened was UTSA went and hired a guy who has been the CEO yep. leader of a program before. Yep. Yep. And Texas State went and hired young, inexperienced head coach guy. UTSA went and said, we need, we have a solid foundation. We need somebody who can take this whole thing to a next step. And just manage Texas it. State thought that they were one move away. Yeah. And that was the, yeah. that's a Jake Spavadol hire to me is, and that's not a critique or whatever. Like you hired a scheming guy, an offensive guy to take a team that could not do offense, right? Like you, you fix this, right? Basically was their, was their message. It's just hard to, you gotta, because you're, you gotta overcome being that first time head coach and yep. you don't have all the resources. Right. Yes. You know, like tough job. Yes. that's, that's a tough combination to, to make work. Yep. Whereas UTSA didn't have all the resources, but they got a guy who had won before. And so I think that's where the difference, I don't even think it's like 
coaching acumen sure, no, as much as it is yeah. coaching experience. Sure, 100%. I mean, he didn't call – I remember one of the things that I've only – one of the only things I've heard Jake Spavadol like walk back on was he didn't call plays his first year. Right. Right? And he came back and said like after that year it didn't go well um, when Bob Stitt came in as offensive coordinator. And he came in and he was like – that spring he was like, yeah, I'm calling plays. Like that, that's why they hired me. You know, it was like that was the one thing where you were like – Oh, you you admitted a, a mess up there, right? right? That's just being a young guy figuring sure. it out on the job. Yeah, he's exactly. thirty two years old at the time. That's <laughs> right. insane. Yeah, and he was like, "Oh, right, no, I probably should do what I'm good at." <laughs> right. And so the um, thing that got me the job, <laughs> right, is going to the- be the thing that keeps me the job. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's a. I mean, that's a that's a long winded answer for a program that's kind of in an interesting spot right now. Because mm-hmm. um, you can look at like programs that struggle, like Rice. Okay, obviously they have you know, academic standards and things like that to where it's hard to get guys just come in. Good, it's hard to get good football players right. to come to Rice as opposed to saying, oh, you can just go to Stanford. You know, yeah. like yeah. you can just go you know, at a high level. Yeah, and if you want to stay at home, you can go to Houston. Right, exactly. You know, there's like another school, right? Yeah, there. exactly. Uh, or, and then UTEP where it's like, obviously there's geographical issues, right? You want to play for us, but you want to live nine hours from home? Mm-hmm. That's a thing. Texas State's a lot more, you always hear the sleeping giant thing thrown yep. around with Texas State because of its location. And theoretically, should be, right? But And that location's getting better and better because mm-hmm. it's basically just Austin now. Right. I was about to say, it's, yeah, it was one, uh, Kyle and uh, uh, Buta just all connected now. So, yeah, um, I do wonder, you know, I, I, would love, I would love to ask him in 10 years, you know, Jake Spavito's like, okay, what did you think of Texas State when you took the job? Yep. What do they sell you on versus yep. whenever his tenure ends, right? What did you think afterward? Yep. You know, what 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 happened? What were those first couple of years like of adjusting? Because so. my thing with Texas State, and I, I hate to use another relationship analogy, because no, like, I, I probably shouldn't. Since, <laughs> considering my relationship status <laughs> in history, I shouldn't use analogies. But, you know, you don't like get, you don't dump your girlfriend until you have the next one mm? lined up, right? And so it. <laughs> If you're if you're Texas, <laughs> Mallory's if, gone. If you're, if <laughs> Mallory's you're, done. If you're Texas State, and then boyfriends too, right? You yeah. Dump your boyfriend until you at least have right. one that you like are interested in. I'm not saying like cheat or anything, right. but like right. have a direction to go. Sure, sure. Right, not yeah. just like back to your apartment lonely, because then you're going to end up with your ex. Right, right, right. Um, if Texas State does, like, let's say Texas State goes four and eight. Yeah. And everybody's like, we got to move on from Spavadol. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, where are you moving to? That's a great right. And if you don't have a better, if you don't have an answer to that, yeah. then you got to keep Spavadol for his fifth year. In That's my a good opinion. point. Yeah. Like, yeah. Unless you can go, okay, we got resources figured out. We're improving the weight room. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're doing this. And we got this coach on the line that we yeah. think is a, an improvement. But I don't believe they can do that no, in the current. I think they're two or three years away from that. Sure. And so- that's what I. That's why I think Spavadol is probably pretty safe this year, unless they just you know one and eleven and I was about just wheels fall like a two, off. You know, two what season, I think. but right. if they're four and eight, five and seven, just on know, the cusp of a bowl right, game, and, and yeah. it looks good. They lost a couple yep. by a three points or something like that. Right. I think you stay. roll with them, not because you're like this is our guy forever, mm-hmm. but because what do you what do yep. you you're just changing the change, sure. and, that, and that can't be where you become as a program where you're just like switching it up i was about to say no then you then you just like toil in mediocrity because right. you, there's no stability there's you just no... broke texas exactly exactly you know, basically right. yeah so uh is that all we had that is yeah so we went a little long on that one but there's a lot to talk about with yeah. this one um i mean obviously i'm an i'm an alum um but there are i think objectively texas state's one of the more intriguing programs because of 
because of where they're located, because of how they've kind of navigated the FBS space recently, and mm-hmm. because of how their peers have kind of seen success as opposed to where they haven't, um, and kind of how they've been bad. Yeah, I think North Texas period. and Texas State are two of the more interesting programs going into 2022 because sure. they're at they're at like a crossroads. Yep. yep. You know, like it could be we, we could be talking about and this time next year. Yeah. We could be talking about multiple different things for those programs, and I wouldn't be shocked at any of them. Right. And so I, that to me, that makes it interesting. All righty. So we will leave it there. Uh, Texas State fans, hope you loved that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be, uh, let's see, Craven, what's, uh, what's the hint on the next uh, guest? Going out west. Going out west. All right. Like, there's not many names you can no. throw out right. there. So. We've already done Lubbock. I was about yeah. to say, so <laughs> there are not, uh, this should really give it away. Uh, so once again, thank you to Texas State head coach Jake Spavadol for the sit down. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Remember to rate, review, all that stuff on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm assuming we're on a bunch of other platforms that I have no idea about. But uh, thank you to North Texas Honda Dealers as well. And we will talk to you guys next week. See you then.